Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I am from San Francisco, California in the United States, although I am now living here in beautiful Wuhan, China, and you can call me by my Chinese name if you prefer, Shangguan Jiewan, and we are here today with... Baby! And baby, where are you? <laughs> Hi, I am in Beijing, my favorite city in the world. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. So, what interesting topic do we have today? We're going to be talking about university life, but not just life, the whole entire process. What, it, what does it mean to attend a university in the United States, in China? What's life like? What is the cost? What is the workload like? Um, did you attend university in the United States? Is that correct? I did, yes. But then uh, I went to Cornell University in upstate New York. Ooh, wow. So it's like in the middle mm. of nowhere, but it's beautiful. And it's a, it's a very nice school. I mm. love my alma mater. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to college in China. But I grew up like literally inside a college campus. It's not just a college, it's a university. And guess where that is? Mm -hmm. A wild guess. <laughs> And that's in one beautiful Wuhan, beautiful Wuhan, exactly. China. Exactly. So um, for people who are really familiar with China, um, so, uh, the famous Wuda or Wuhan Dashu, Wuda University. So I grew up mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, on campus. And when I say on campus, it's not like a small space. It's like a small city in itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Actually, they're, they're building more. Yeah, we have gone. They're actually adding on all of these skyscrapers as part of the university right next to the river right now. Wait, what? They're under construction. Why? Yes, it's going to become even larger. I'm not no, sure. No, 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 no skyscrapers. But it's going to be even more massive. Yes, I think maybe it's residential compounds or offices. I'm not that. sure. But they're actually... <laughs> Right. But it is one, it's known as one of the most beautiful campuses in China because the cherry blossoms that mm. bloom there every year draw tourists from all over China yeah. to go to this and university. And not just the cherry blossoms, like it, it's, it's got flowers all different seasons all year round. There are the famed meihua, mm. um, plum flowers, mm -hmm. like for winter times. And they have just the most amazing fragrance. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with that. And also, Guihua. I'm not familiar. And no. it's got a really long English name that I, I don't know how to say in English. But mm. those their fragrances are just mesmerizing. You you just lose yourself, like you know, or faced with that fragrance. So it's a really huge campus. And I literally just grew inside that, grew up inside that university. Mm. But it felt like a, a big world to me. And it's got uh, different um, schools, just mm -hmm. same in the States, right? Mm -hmm. They're the, like the law school or the English department and all the others that they've got. I like grew up on their playgrounds. There are different like soccer fields. Mm -hmm. I remember my grandma would take me to one of those uh, soccer fields mm. and she would, this is like what, 30, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I remember she would tie a thick rope or maybe it was already there on the tree and make a swing for me. And we would spend a nice easy afternoon just, you know, on the playground. 
It's so much fun. Memories. That reminds me of something, too. This is not university related. Mm -hmm. But my grandmother had a tire swing mm. that was a rope dangling from a tree nice. in her backyard that I spent a lot of time See? getting dizzy on. Happy times, right? Happy times with grandmas. <laughs> and um, I know it's controversial when it comes to how people raise their kids. You know, some grandparents input a lot. But I have a lot of good memories from being with my grandmother. I think they're easier to get along with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like parents, because are so busy and they are still in a way kids themselves like i'm i still feel like a kid sometimes <laughs> mm. right but then i have to mm. take that time and all the effort to take care of my daughter mm -hmm. and things get tense a little bit but with grandparents it's different but anyhow that's not our topic today <laughs> I'd like to just start out with, uh, there's a thing called U.S. News and World Report. It's a magazine. It puts out a college ranking each year. And, mm. you know, China's mm -hmm. been climbing the rankings increasingly. Tsinghua University, Renmin University, PKU, and of course, uh, I think it's University of Hong Kong all do mm. very well. There are other universities in Shanghai and elsewhere. I, sh I can't name them all because I don't know all of their names. <laughs> um, but, you know, Oxford and Cambridge typically do pretty well. But most of the top mm -hmm. 25 or so rankings are happen to be be right, in the U.S., right. most of them. And so there are a lot of Chinese students that migrate over mm. for university. Mm -hmm. In the past, they would some of them would stay. STEM students would stay in the U.S. for, for a little while. But increasingly for the last 10 years, the trend has reversed back to where after they finish their studies, they're returning to China to build their life here more mm. and more. Right. I uh, attended several mm. universities, actually. It's a very weird story, and I'm not going to go into all of it right now. But I had the opportunity to attend uh, San Francisco State uh -huh. University, UC Berkeley, and there are a lot of Chinese uh, students there who do are very successful students generally. Mm. Very right. gen And uh, mm -hmm. I think that's pretty well true across the United States that a lot of students, international students, come over from all, all over the place, Russia, China, Japan, elsewhere. Mm. And uh, most of them return to their home countries, and, and Chinese students increasingly do so here because there are these huge mammoth companies to work for now hmm. there's so many new digit on the digital frontier mm -hmm. they're here in china where the digital frontier increasingly is mm -hmm. i don't know if you know this and i'm a little off point but the fastest ai computer in the world is now in china and this changes ev every year or two mm -hmm. but china has been at the very front of the fastest computers mm. in the world for the last 10 years or so i think i've heard that in the news vaguely not that he you know, the meaning is very clear to me, but it's great. Great. We have one of the fastest computers. <laughs> I mean, that's how far um, I, I don't really know anything about technology, um, but there is definitely this trend where more graduates from um, like American universities or a lot of people go to Australia too. Mm -hmm, yeah. You know, and then a, a good portion go to Europe mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. for their graduate studies. Um, and I think the returning rate is getting much higher than before mm -hmm. for several reasons. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I mean, it's just nice here. Yeah, it is very lovely. Right. And, and it's convenient and you can find modern places to live and you can find uh, you know, calm countryside places, uh, you have lots of choices and their families are there. And also in Chinese culture, family ties are, um, you know, extremely important. A lot of places in China are also saying, oh, we're the new Silicon Valley of China. But one mm -hmm. particular sticks out in my mind. There's a Baidu campus in oh. the Shenzhen 
area that is part of what I think mm-hmm. they call it the Greater Bay Area. That's the name of this, this a few cities mm. that are interconnected there. And there's a campus with autonomous cars mm. that drive people around. And it's like a giant work campus that's very much, you know, in the line right. of when you think of like the Google campus it's very much like that only here in china and on Mm -hmm. a more massive scale and there's so many programmers and other stem graduates that are working there building a Mm -hmm. a future here in china where a lot of the technology that's coming down in the future in the five years and ten years is going to be coming out of this greater bay area Mm. near shenzhen yeah and also other reasons including um like i guess for chinese immigrants um into in in the states Mm. um it's easier for them to get lonely you know, because uh, we here in China, we grew up in big families. Mm. Uh, of course, you, mostly you stay with your nuclear family, mm. but you are connected with your relatives. You know, you grew up with your cousins, right? your aunts and uncles. Um, but then over there in the States, if they go for their graduate school, you know, they're by themselves. Mm. And you have to like, you know, start from scratch, probably find somebody. And then it's just um, not as you don't feel as connected. And also there are a lot of opportunities over here. And another reason it's really sad to say is that um, uh, safety reasons. Yeah, yeah. And that's becoming more prominent in recent years. Mm -hmm. This was not something that people thought about let's say a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens, right? Um, in, the, in the States, we know that it happens, but it's becoming more frequent mm-hmm. and there are a lot more exposure on the internet. Mm-hmm. So it's scaring parents a little bit. I mean, a lot of people still want to go there for higher education. It's simply got the best universities in the world. But now you feel like, you know, there is, it, there's a real chance of something terrible happening, you know? Well, it's not, <sighs> ju- it's, it's actually two tiered because mm-hmm. um, for anyone living in America, there's the possibility of being robbed or in criminality affect one's life. Hmm. However, for AIDS in particular, in the last three or four years, there's been a dramatic rise in anti-Asian hate crimes right. across the United States, even in cities like San Francisco, Oakland, where there is a very large mm-hmm. Asian population. And you wouldn't think that that would be the case. But, you know, San Francisco's Chinatown, this has affected the, a lot of the elderly people in particular, which is very mm-hmm. striking. Right. It's very literally striking. unfortunate because, I mean, in, in the past, it was a it was a good deal. Right. Mm. We there are a lot of students here who want to study, have the opportunity to get higher education in the best universities around the world. And they bring in loads of money. I mean, the tuition. Mm. Yeah, they pay like triple. Oh they triple gosh. someone who has residency. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's expensive to start with. Right. Even for American citizens and then more costs for international students. Probably really, really slim chance of um, giving out scholarships to foreign students. So, you know, in the past, it it worked, right? It was Mm. a great source of revenue for um, the United States and also for Australia. Mm. Actually, vacation is one of their largest exports Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because a lot of uh, Chinese students and students from other countries go there. But now, of course, due to the pandemic and also safety reasons, Mm -hmm. um, I think people will think, you know, very carefully before uh, choosing their schools in the States. So I I just think it's so unfortunate, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. Well, let's maybe move on to the brighter side (laughs) of this topic. I wasn't going to 
move on to this is slightly brighter, but it's still not okay. that great for Americans anyway. I wanted to mention the cost. So I had, you know, occasionally looked at, oh, do I want to go back to school while I was living mm-hmm. here? And looked at some of the best universities ha- actually make it not that difficult for international students. So I was looking at like PKU and mm-hmm. I was like, mm, maybe I could go there. I looked at the cost of some of the mm-hmm. programs and they're ridiculously mm-hmm. inexpensive, even compared to like university, like state universities in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. So I could just, yeah. Go, yeah, just like go there. And actually there are scholarship opportunities for international students here. Actually for families, like I, I would say middle class or even lower middle class, mm. um, tuition, like college tuition, is not really something they worry about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I, I don't really hear people talking about tuition because mm-hmm. it's uh, you know most families can easily afford it mm-hmm. actually found some numbers um i think back in july 2020 mm-hmm. on average um uh, to go to a chinese university well at least the public ones i guess there mm-hmm. are probably expensive private ones um tuition comes to about five thousand rmb per year wow so that's like 800 yeah dollars per that's year amazing and then living accommodation that's like uh 1200 rmb per year so that's less than 200 dollars <laughs> per year mm. and the most um the biggest part of the expenditure is actually just uh things that the students buy for themselves like food i mean food is not much yeah but you know young people right they, they like to here's some ramen here's some ramen here's some ramen here's yeah some... <laughs> but then these days, there's so much out there to mm. choose from. Mm. So the like the daily uh, living expense is probably a little bit higher. Mm. Let's say a thousand RMB a month, or if the family is better off, a few thousand. Mm. So that's what two hundred less than two hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. So it's completely affordable for most families. Like that's not something that would stop somebody mm-hmm. from going to college. But I know that that's an entirely different story over there in the states. If you look at the states, yeah, like universities like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, they're going to be at least like forty or fifty thousand dollars just for mostly tuition More for like than a that. year yeah a single year yeah i remember yeah and then i paid what mm-hmm. we paid uh fifty-five thousand a year that was wow my goodness that was how many years ago <laughs> that was over a decade ago wow and that's just tuition right mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm, you have mm-hmm. to a uh, living accommodation that's a few hundred dollars a mm-hmm, month mm-hmm. and then you buy textbooks yeah you, you can't imagine how expensive they are if you haven't been to universities in the states i mean like i literally brought a few hundred dollars with me when i went to college like you know as a freshman mm-hmm. and i thought those this will last me for a while until i went to the bookstore wow and I look at the the prices of the textbooks. They're like over a hundred dollars a piece. So I remember. Yeah, but you can return them and get like ten percent of your money back. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks for that comfort. I mean, I learned my lessons hard because I I was so excited. I started writing on them, and then when you return them, it's a whole new story. Hmm. So for the first few weeks, I remember calling my mom every few days to ask for money, and she was so shocked. She was like, "If you keep going on like this, I'm gonna be broke in two months." <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, later that I discovered that you can get used textbooks and uh, other ways. But it's, it's still, it, it was pretty expensive. Mm. And I think um, it took uh, my mom a few years to pay off my loans. Wow. But at least the loans weren't, weren't like, you know, the, the rate was really low. Mm. So, well. In, in America, this is becoming a, a crisis, one of the larger crises mm. that is affecting the U.S. 
people, economy. There are tens of millions of people who owe an exorbitant amount of money. Some some cases it's only mm. the interest rates like two percent. In some cases the interest is as high as six, seven, eight, nine percent. So some people are mm-hmm. making the minimum payments because the federal government allows them to do that. And then Mm-hmm. Because they're making minimum payments, the interest is actually higher than the payments they're making. Hmm. And they may graduate with only something like thirty or $50,000, which is actually a lot of money. A lot of money already. But then, yeah, 10 years later, they owe 100000 <gasps> And 10 years when they're... Yeah, and when they're retiring, trying to retire, they might owe like three or four hundred thousand oh dollars on an education they got forty years ago. Huh. And there's almost no you can't just be oh I'm retiring mm. or I've hit retirement age and they will just erase it. That doesn't happen. So some people have to constantly be feeding some kind of money until it mm-hmm. into it all the way up until you know they pass. That's to the next, crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. I, mean, I don't know when this all started. Like why is college tuition so expensive? Um, maybe it's time for some people, I don't know, experts to figure things out. And I think that's another reason why we talked about it this the other day. Um, the uh, policies regarding education, how mm-hmm, at least mm-hmm. here in China, we want to, you know, we want it not to be a business. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want education, at least not public education, and to be a source of a way, like, like, you know, like finance, mm-hmm. you know, a way for people to, to make money off this, mm-hmm. because that's not what it is for, right? Its purpose is not to drive revenue. So, but then, you know, that's... That's a, exactly what it's become yeah. in the United States. But I mean, you look at places like China, or like Germany, or like Holland, where education is either free or so affordable that no one really worries about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, you know, the cost of going, sure, no problem. Mm-hmm. But whereas in the United States, it becomes like more than the income of the family in some cases. So the family literally- Anyone ma- doing anything about this Um, over there in the States? There are so many different interests in Congress that are-, mm. are And there are so many lobbyists and and there's so many different people who have money to lose that even though some people want to do some things about this and like kind of drive it Mm. in a a better direction and more equitable direction, it becomes impossible. It's like this Washington gridlock where the the politics just don't allow for a solution to realistically come about. Mm -hmm. And then, you, of course, you Mm -hmm. have people who are angry because they didn't go to college. They couldn't afford it to at the time. They made the decision not to to start working right away, Mm -hmm. which is a good decision for a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? Right, and th- right. They're like, well, right. why should we forgive the loans or make it easier for them? Like, I didn't go to college or uh, I paid off. And then it becomes something you know, even very heated. And it's easy for some hmm. factions in politics to just highlight those voices and make it more difficult mm-hmm. for other people. Whereas in like Germany, if mm-hmm. you're able to go to college, they're like, okay, great. You should go to college here. It costs mm-hmm. free. You just have to pay for your own accommodations and stuff. So, mm-hmm. so they're not going to maybe necessarily pay for your food in some countries, but mm-hmm. they're, they are going to make it so that you can go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the affordability in China is practically the same thing as what they have like in Holland or in France or in Germany. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the United States, everything is about profit. So universities <sighs> have become about profit. It's so frustrating. It mm. is frustrating. And I think it's also one of the reasons that some of the universities are so good. Mm, that's They're true. Like, oh, well, we can raise the price. We can build more campus amenities and facilities. And draw but talent. I, mean, I don't think they really need, and they can. Yes, they can draw talent. But at this point, it's, it's over the top. It's ludicrous. And you don't need a new study hall mm-hmm. when people can just go use the study hall that was built 100 years ago. Right. And has paintings from 100 years ago in it anyway. Way, right. Like, or more iPads, more electronics. That's not really yeah. um, what makes people better students exactly. or what, you know, help them to learn better. Mm. But you know, that's a huge issue. 
um, we can't really find any solutions, you know, I guess for this huge problem. Um, and another thing I really wanted to talk about when it comes to university life, um, you know, involve the big changes in the education sector here in China, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. in this year, right? We talked about the double reduction policy. And there's a lot more mm -hmm. um, regarding this. This is a whole huge picture. Mm -hmm. And one chunk of it is, you know, involves uh, K-12, K-12, mm -hmm. right, for younger students. But also there is a bigger plan to change the structure um, because one of the problems China faces now is that we have too many college graduates, mm. but not enough skilled workers. Ah. So the college college entrance exam, Gaokao, we talked about that last time, that mm -hmm. uh, was mm -hmm. reinstated um, back in the early 1970s. Mm. Now, this system of selecting uh, talents, the system of meritocracy, has been mm -hmm. in China for thousands of years. I mean, that's how mm -hmm. government officials... I'm pretty sure China invented the test. I read that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's a system that they use to select, uh, basically, officials, you know, for government. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. later on, evolved into something like this. So, back in the days, you know, all throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even, you know, early 2000, even a little bit now, um, going to college is just something that people aspire to. Mm -hmm. You know, parents all want their kids to go to college. Mm -hmm. um, but now, uh, there are statistics from last year. I think in 2020, China had 9.09 .09 million college graduates. Wow. And they face wow. unprecedented challenges in, in the job market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just not as many jobs for um, people who want to sit in offices. Right. There are job shortages in other areas. I know I'm interrupting and you have a particular uh, direction you want to go, but I just want to maybe maybe mention really quickly that could be, you know, a catalyst for innovation because maybe, oh, OK, I can't find a job. I'm very I have a master's mm -hmm. degree from Tsinghua University, but I can start my own business doing something niche and new and that's cutting true. edge. Anyways, I'm sorry. I I did interrupt. No, that you. that's a good point. Um and also I think for people who don't have as much debt, you know, from their college education, mm -hmm. maybe it's like better to start off. Yeah. yeah. But hey, someone with a master degree from Tsinghua University, I don't think <laughs> Okay, bad example, bad example. <laughs> bad example. I don't think he or she will have trouble finding jobs here. <laughs> um but of course there's so many other universities and so many millions like over nine million graduated last year, mm -hmm. and um, and this this the economy just can't absorb all that, so it's become a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, in the past, go to college, especially a good one, that's you know the pride mm -hmm. of the family. And nowadays, I mean, there's a story. Some people were saying this online. How thirty years ago, um, you know, migrant workers, you know, they make three thousand RMB. That's not much, right? And for people who don't understand it, mm -hmm. for three thousand a month. Yeah. So and they save it up so their kids can you know go to college, mm. and then now their kids finally graduate from college and they end up making like you know three or four thousand <laughs> RMB a month mm. because there are just mm. too many graduates. But at the same time, there are vacancies like 
in the millions, probably more than that, a shortage of skilled workers. You know, they need skilled workers in factories and, you know, all for all these constructions that China's been doing. So that's an imbalance. I'd also like to just intervene one more time. Sure, no problem. Um, just for our American audience, when we say migrants here in China, we're actually we're actually talking about people who live in smaller towns migrating to larger towns to work. So it's mm. not like migrants from elsewhere. It might be a language issue a bit. Ah, I see. Uh, you know what's really interesting? I mean, I'm going to mm -hmm. go on a side again. Mm -hmm. In Wuhan, the population mm. was 4 million in 2003. And because mm. Wuhan offers the ability to migrate here really easily, if you have a college education, and there are so many universities here, the mm -hmm. population is now 13 million. So there are... There are 13? all these really young, yeah, 13, yes. Wow. The population has just ballooned. And now if you go anywhere, there are all these just post-college educated aged people mm -hmm. everywhere. It mm. seems like two-thirds of the people that live here, and it might actually be accurate, are mm -hmm. in their 20s or something. And there are all these super, super educated people all over Wuhan. So uh, when it comes to restructuring the whole educational system, mm. they're doing some major changes. For example, they are um, there are talks about like dividing up the student streams mm -hmm. either at high school point mm -hmm. or at middle school point. So the same in the states, like not everyone goes to college. Mm -hmm. So in the states, um, uh, you know, I, I thought that everyone went to college because mm. it's a developed mm. country. Now, this was, what, like 20 years mm -hmm. ago, right? And I thought, uh, in a developed country, everybody goes to college. And, and then... I think it's about 25%. It's, what, only 25? Well... It's only, I think for a master's degree, it's 5%. For PhDs, it's 1% to 2%. And mm -hmm. for a bachelor's degrees, it's about, about 25%. Really? Yeah. So I was really off. And it wasn't, it wasn't until some point in college that I heard somebody mention that uh, about roughly 30% of uh, college, uh, high school graduates actually go to college. Mm. And I was shocked. I was like, you must be wrong. You know, there's, there's definitely some wrong statistics. You know, if you're talking about like a backward country, maybe not as many people go to college, but not in the States. Well, now I know that it makes sense not to have everybody, you know, not mm -hmm. everybody needs to go to college, right? Mm -hmm. A mm -hmm. lot of the jobs, necessary jobs, don't really require a college education. And some of them are actually well-paying, like a trucking job. Exactly. You, don't, you make good money, but you don't need a college right. education to shift a gear. <laughs> well, it's more than that. <laughs> but and it and, and it's hard work. But that's the point. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. But the thing is, see, that's something new here in China for Chinese parents. You know, they're gonna raise their kids. Uh, they will be good at school as at their studies, and they're gonna go to college. And that's like the starting point of their future. Right now, Chinese parents face something new. You know, because um, we realize that okay, maybe having a college degree is not going to guarantee you a decent job. You might be making less than someone who uh, makes deliveries, mm, literally, mm, right? Mm. Like if you work for a good, um, these quite companies, mm -hmm. fast delivery companies, you have a pretty good salary. Like you mm. make over 10000 a month. Mm. So, but if you are a white collar, you're working in an office, maybe you only end up making what? five, six thousand, seven thousand. Right. And it's the jobs are hard, too. And mm. new policies that's been discussed is um, 
to have this um, divergence at either middle school or high school. And my idea is, I think you're describing hmm. Germany's system. Yes, yes. Uh, so Germany right. has a system where I, in high school they divide all the kids into like two basic groups, and then it ends up being three. I'm not sure what all three are. One is to go to university. Mm-hmm. And one is to go to like trade schools right. where you basically do what is it called in the United States where they have free labor? Free an internship. <laughs> so you do an, <laughs> I yeah, see. they do an internship at like a bank for two years mm-hmm. of the last two years of their high school life. And while they're attending high school, they're also working at the bank. Mm-hmm. And then when they graduate, hey, the bank likes me. I'm just going to stay there now. Right. And right. So you have a job at the bank and you don't need to go to university and waste your time mm-hmm. learning about, you know, Kant and like Plato or something. Mm. Instead, you can just start immediately doing practical work you know, and get on with your life. Now that you mentioned this, I just uh, saw a video um, of, a, of a German kid. Uh, he lives in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's like a first grader because he was practicing like numbers two, three, and he was really bored. So he was talking to his dad. He's like, I'm going to be driving trucks when I grow up. You know, why do I need to study? You know, I don't need to do math. I, I don't need to write articles. I'm just going to drive a truck. And the dad was, you know, a little bit frustrated at the beginning. He's like, that's right. You know, you don't you don't need all that for every job. But you do need to get a driver's license, mm. right? You do need to measure how much stuff you can put in your truck mm. or the speed, right? Or the, you know, other technical issues that you need to solve. Balance so, your own checkbook. Yeah, things like that. And the, the five or six-year-old, I'm not too sure. He's like, okay, that makes sense. I guess I should go back to my homework. <laughs> But I mean that um, that is also some like a major change that Chinese parents have mm. to think about, and some people they are getting super stressed about it because you know in the past the the divergence happens at college level. Mm. Right, either your high school graduate make it to college, mm. or you know he doesn't, and then he go off into the workforce, maybe get you know, some vocational schools. But nowadays, this cut, this divergence point might be moved um, to middle school mm. point. I don't think this is final. I think this is still up in the air. But still, this this thinking, this mentality, <laughs> is major. You know, that's some major change in China, um, where people need to get used to the fact that your kid might not be going to college. And that's fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because um, instead of thinking, uh, valuing your kids, you know, by what university he gets into or he graduates from. How many poems they can quote by heart. Right. <laughs> instead of valuing, uh, you, you know, your kids by those things, you should value your kid's future by what skills he has. Or she. You know, because you... Or he or she has. Like, what can she actually do? Because mm-hmm. a lot of parents, they put their kids through college, four years, lots of money, and maybe they don't end up, you know, learning any particular skill. Mm-hmm. I didn't end up learning any particular skill when I graduated from college. <laughs> um, but so maybe they could spend that money and to go to a trade school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A vocational school and actually learn something um, that can contribute to, uh, you know, what the society you know, needs. It also seems, I mean, it, I don't think it does. I think increasingly with the technology that China is rolling out in mass all over the country, high speed rail and fast computers mm-hmm. and 5G, like, the or solar panels i think china is the number one producer of solar panels in the world and actually the number one user of hmm. solar panels in the world like going to trade school mm-hmm. isn't like 
a cent to go do really hard manual labor, they're n- highly needed all over the country in, in, in order to maintain right. this new advanced technological infrastructure. And that's a positive thing. Exactly. But see, it's just the parents uh, of uh, future um, pillars of society, <laughs> as we <laughs> call them, they need to change their mentality. <laughs> because for decades, you know, they, they value the um, um, how their kids do in society by you know, where they graduate from Mm. in college. Now they have to set different standards. They just have to make that turn in Mm. their mind. And to to realize that, you know, you don't, you can't just judge your child's performance Mm. by the diploma anymore. And there are so many other choices out there. You know, you can make a decent salary doing a lot of uh, manual labor. I know that in the States, you know, you make decent salary uh, doing construction work, right? And I think a lot of people, they would prefer... If you're in a union, you make a very decent salary. Yeah, I heard. You know, I've worked on Wall Street, and the work was extremely depressing. (laughs) And I know that for people who are not sitting in those high-rising offices and plucking numbers and just battling with your computer, you may think that this is a golden-collar job, Hmm. right? This is, you know, they want to graduate and work in finance. It is sad. (laughs) (laughs) I could only survive for two years. Hmm. And every day that I worked on Wall Street, almost every day I thought I would just jump off that building because mm. it was I was so miserable. I mean, not everyone suffered as I did, but I think a lot of the young people that I work with um, didn't really enjoy it. So if they could find something else, right, that could pay decent salary and maybe they like to be outdoors, right? Maybe they like physical exercises. Maybe they like to be on a farm. You know, they could have many more choices. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Chinese parents need to start make that change now. Instead of just focusing on that one path, mm-hmm. you know, into the future, they now have to, you know, know that there are other choices that maybe will work out better for their well, kids. I, I think this, this is actually a conversation that's happening in the United States also. Because of the student loan crisis, a lot of people are re-examining what is the purpose of going to university. And mm. a lot of people are seeing that studying thing, uh, theoretical things like French literature, for example. I'm sorry for if you've studied. <laughs> my listener, if you have studied French literature, I'm sorry, but you know what I'm talking about. Right. If you, th- There's like very impractical places to use that in the (laughs) real world. And so a lot of people are re-examining going to university in the United States. And a lot Mm -hmm. of universities are actually trying to, oh, we also teach skills-based approaches to work. And that's that's a conversation that's happening also in the United States. Because there's Mm -hmm. just been, all the universities have just been flush with students since about the mid-1990s when there were Mm -hmm. some policy changes about how student debt could be accumulated and how it could be how it could not be getting rid of. There mm-hmm. were policies in the United States formerly where it could be get gotten rid of through bankruptcy. But in the late 1990s, oh. that went away and it became hmm. you could not get rid of student loans. You so have to pay universities it, huh? took advantage of that. They were like, oh, really? Then they just started offering student loans to every student who wanted to go to university. Hmm. And so that became a, a big crush of money that was really great for universities as entities, but mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily good for all of the people who wanted to go. Who mm. Then, okay, I'm going to go study philosophy. You know, there's not a lot of practical mm. applications for philosophy in the real world, although it's mm-hmm. nice to be able to quote like some ancient <laughs> philosopher. It's not necessarily going to get you a job beyond Starbucks. I'd like to shift the conversation a little sure. bit. from. Sure. We're going to keep coming down from the dark to the light. Um, <laughs> 
to lifestyle. So, like, what is what are lifestyles like for students? What are student lifestyles like? <sighs> Not just the the subjects that they're taking or all of the crushing debt that they're accumulating, but like, mm-hmm. you know, how do you know U.S. college students enjoy themselves, and versus how do Chinese college students enjoy themselves on a Friday or a Saturday? Friday. Well, so I'm kind of stuck in the middle because I'm a Chinese who. Uh, went to an American university, but then I don't really enjoy. Well, you have a particular take. Yeah, so you can tell us what is it like for. W- were you hanging out with primarily other mainland Chinese like friends, or did did you the- diversify <laughs> your friendships across the spectrum? This is very. It gets very complicated. So there are different like circles on campus, and um, mm-hmm. so even for Chinese students, there are different circles. And um, there were the American Chinese, right? A- we call them mm-hmm. ABCs, right? Who were yeah, born yeah. to Chinese parents, but they grew up um, on American soil. Guangdonghua, right? Like Cantonese, some, some of them, yeah. right? If their parents some of them. speak Chinese to them at home. So they are like, mm-hmm. you know, one group. And then there are the graduate students who went to the States after attending college in China. So they are like 100% mm-hmm. like Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. So they are kind of a group. And then there's this really, at least in my school, when I was there, there's this tiny niche of kids who <laughs> went to the States in their early teens and mm. went to high school in the States and then went to college. And so we formed a tiny little group. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting how divided we were. <laughs> I mean, like, we were, it's not like we only, you know, it's not like right. we didn't talk to anybody else, but we were the closest because we knew what life was like mm-hmm, back in mm-hmm. China. And we knew what it was like to live as um, an immigrant family, yeah, in in the States. Um, And we weren't as Americanized, um, but we weren't totally, like, 100% uh, Chinese or educated in China. So, it's it's a very fine niche. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the group I hang out the most with. What kind of things did you do for fun? So, which... Um, we chat, <laughs> we eat, right. and one thing we didn't really do, and I know that that's, that's my understanding of mainstream American culture, I know that you guys party a lot, or you like to party a lot, right? You like to drink? Not me specifically, but lots of Americans, yeah. No, I was a ner- I was a nerd in school. I was in the library me all too. the time. <laughs> me too. Me <laughs> too. Okay, so um, I, that was the part of the culture that I, w- I never really got used to. Like, I would sometimes, you know, I was invited to parties on campus. I literally didn't know what to do. Like, mm. everybody else would be drinking. I don't even think beer tastes good. <laughs> like, it, it, especially when it got warm. It's like, why do people drink this? Um, and then as... As a Chinese, we're not as good at striking up conversations with people we don't know. Mm. And, and that, that's something that Americans are so good at. Like, you can just walk into a room, right, full of strangers, and somehow you'll start conversations. I never thought about and it that you, way, but you guys, it isn't a problem, yeah. See? <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, in, in China, I mean, people are really friendly, Right. But parties or gatherings Mm. are mostly uh, they start from either uh, your family circle or your coworker. Like they always start from someone, you know, really well. 
And then gradually mm -hmm. the circle enlarges. They introduce you to their friends and you introduce, yeah, and then it's like, okay, now we have a few of us, <laughs> we're a group in the group. Exactly, but no one just you know, walks through the door and say, hi, I'm so-and-so, nice to meet you guys. <laughs> and that's just kind of, well, maybe it happens for younger people, I'm not too sure, but at least for, you know, people my age or older, hmm. uh, that's kind of odd. So we are not good at doing that. <laughs> well, you're describing my undergraduate life, but when I was in my master's degree, I, the professors themselves started wanting to hang out with the graduate students. So we would be invited huh. to go out. Okay, let's go out, Dr. Chikuri. And then we'd be like mm -hmm. hanging out at a bar and we, okay, I guess Dr. Chikuri's drinking. I need to drink. And so that, that oh, happened. I see. But that was primarily in my like last year and my MA. It was like, okay, well, I, I need to like be buddies with them, I guess. So let's, <laughs> let's go hang out with the, the doctors. Wait, what did you study for your master's? I studied uh, for my master's degree, modern world history. Mm wait, wait, wait. Modern world history? Like modern world history. Yeah, like from contemporary to present. Yeah, not contemporary, but like uh the last 1500 the last 500 years or so. So I was very interested in like why is the world this way? Mm. And I wanted to really understand why all the politics were the way that they were. Mm -hmm. So I I didn't want to just take a international like relations course because I I wanted to really understand how it got this mm. way. So I studied I actually I could have finished my MA in a year, mm -hmm. year and a half. It was ideal, mm -hmm. but I, I was so absorbed by like learning mm -hmm. that I spent three years and I went more than full time. I went like double, like one and a half time, mm. the total courses I needed to take for the entire three years. Wow. Finally, I was told, you know, you could keep, you could stay here, Jason, but <laughs> you probably shouldn't, you know, just Wait. move on to the next thing. And I was like, okay, fine. Okay. Couldn't you do a PhD or something? Uh, I was thinking about it, but after, uh, <laughs> actually really after studying modern world history, I realized as an American, I hadn't <laughs> been anywhere. So I theoretically understood all these other places in the world, mm -hmm. but I've never been to them. Mm. So I would, I just left. I was like, okay, I need to go abroad and see what the world outside of America, North America mm. is like. Nice. Because I'd only been to Canada and Mexico. Mm -hmm. I moved to South Korea. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, uh, mm, not my flavor. <laughs> and so I, I moved to no uh, China. Yeah. yeah, I was like, uh, not really. Uh. And then so I moved to China. I was like, wow, I really, li I like it here and so i just kind of got mm. then after that i kind of got stuck but you know i being in asia <laughs> I, I stuck in a good way like yay i'm just gonna stay mm -hmm. here now but I, I i was able to travel around i've been to japan a few times other places the story ended up okay i ended mm -hmm. up seeing a lot of places but from my new home mm. in china where i just kind of settled in nice yeah it just worked out that way can i can i ask yeah, go ahead. For your graduate school, did you have mm -hmm. to did you have to pay a lot of money for mas your master's degree? I mean, you stayed for three years. I, I wanted to attend Berkeley, and as I found a kind of a secret way to oh, do it. Is it illegal? If you attend San Francisco State University, it's just much more expensive. So I, mm -hmm. I found if you attend San Francisco State University's master's program, you can attend either Berkeley or San Francisco State's university. So huh. I, I went full time at San Francisco State University and half time at UC Berkeley for three years mm -hmm. and I was able to take courses at both universities and I commuted a lot mm -hmm. and you know this is why I say I was in the library all the time the mm -hmm. only times I went out with my, my my professors was like occasionally on a Friday night otherwise I was literally just in the library all the time and my home looked like a library I had accumulated so many books <laughs> I had this huge huge room 
Mm-hmm. And all the walls were covered from with books from nice. ceiling to floor. It, well, mm-hmm. I had to get rid of them eventually. I couldn't uh, just leave them there, right? But, you know. You sounds like you've had a lot of fun mm-hmm. um, traveling and also so absorbed in setting. I am, I am a nerd, I have to confess. I feel safe confessing mm-hmm. now. <laughs> My favorite thing in the world, favorite activity is reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we can, you know, have uh, a lot of interesting things to talk about when it comes to books in the future. What was your major? What did you study? My major, um, I had two. I was uh, I was kind of all over mm-hmm. the place a little bit. Wow. So I did manage to um, have a major in economics. I wasn't really going in for the econ major. It just, I ended up taking enough courses to make it a major, <laughs> <laughs> um, which works fine. Because the other major I had was called a college scholar program. Mm-hmm. So that's for students who, um, all the way till their second year, mm. they still can't find a particular major that they want to focus mm. on. Not because they're so lost. It's kind of like liber- liberal studies, right? They also call it that. But because, yeah, you make up your own major. Mm. You know, because something you want to do is so specific mm-hmm. that the other majors are too broad. Mm. So they, in, you have to apply for it. It's only for arts and science students. Mm-hmm. And you, there's like a whole application process. It's called College Scholar Program. Mm-hmm. I was interested in um, Asian study mm-hmm. and also economics and filmmaking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, back in the days, I was like a different person. Um, so I ended up, I got into the program and uh, they, the, the, the way they do it is they signed you up with three different professors from each department. Mm-hmm. And you work with them to design your own major. You take, um, select the appropriate courses and that you have to have a graduation project. So for my graduation project, I made a documentary film. Wow. You know, I actually got a scholarship Somewhere for that. We can download this and watch it. <laughs> to be honest, I can't even find it. I- I'm a pretty forward looking person. So I don't really, you know, keep a lot of stuff from the past. Um, but it was mm. very interesting, you know, and I got I remember it was like a $4,000 scholarship for this. And for college students back then, that was like, you know, a huge amount of money. And I bought a video camera, I bought tickets back to China. And I traveled to, um, you know, the countryside and also here in Beijing. And also, uh, parts. You made a documentary about China. I made a documentary about China because of the. That mis- is so cool. <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was hard work though, but because the misconception, mm. um, you know, for people who've been to uh, the major cities, Beijing or Shanghai, mm. their impression mm-hmm. of China is, wow, you know, it's so modern mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. right? The, the China is like a developed mm-hmm. country, but there is a whole other side to mm-hmm. China. Uh, you know, there's the countryside, um, and there, you know, at that time it was ongoing. There was ongoing poverty, a uh, poverty alleviation program, which just, mm-hmm. um, uh, had a milestone last year in 2020. Yeah, right? absolutely. So the elimination of absolute poverty across all of China. Exactly. But then there's still a long way to go because we're talking about absolute poverty, right? There's still a lot of, uh, more people. work to be done. This exactly. is one of the wonderful things about having a top down kind of. Right. They, they, because they can implement so many necessary policies just to help people everywhere without exactly. middle people getting in the way. 
<laughs> exactly. So I wanted to show people that, you know, if they've been to China uh, in the early years and their remembrance, their impression of China is this poor place, right? Where people, mm. they still have their long braid, men still have long braid or, <laughs> you know, my history teacher thought so back in high wow. school. It was it was rather sad. <laughs> They thought he thought people still like men still wore gowns and all that. So uh, that's for another story. But anyhow, mm. I knew that there are the different sides uh, to China that people probably um, haven't seen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I even went now, to yeah, you know the lot. heart of the city. Even now, yeah, and I went to some rural areas uh, surrounding Wuhan, and I made a documentary. I wanted to show um, people outside China, you know, what China is, uh, the reality. You know, um, the modern and the not so modern um, and how people lived as uh, just everyday people, you know, citizens in the rural areas and also in the city. So that's something I did for the College Scholar Program. And uh, so I have two majors. Okay. <laughs> End <Wow>. of answer. <laughs> I've always been really curious about economics. And when I was still, you know, in my MA, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should go and get another master's degree in economics. I looked into it. Actually, I looked into <laughs> going to the University mm -hmm. of Delhi because mm -hmm. I found it the equivalent was like, it was like $600 a year or something. <gasps> and I was like, oh. wow. and I, I looked at it and the math requirements for getting into an economics major were so prohibitive that I was like, ah, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> the more, uh, the higher you go, like for masters and for postdoc, that's like all math. Mm. And if you're just interested in, in, you know, in how things work, because that's why I wanted to take those econ mm. classes. I wanted to know what actually goes on in the real mm -hmm, world. Because mm -hmm. I, you know, I grew up in a very uh, loving and protective Chinese family. Mm. Um, I really, uh, I didn't have much work experience or intern experiences. Um, all I had to do was just go to school, right? And it was very simple. But I wondered, like, what's the rest of the world mm. like? You know, what are banks actually mm. for? I know that people put money in their, you know, in mm -hmm. the banks, but then what, what do they do with them? Mm. And how do these companies and, um, and banks and the government, how do they associate with each other? Mm -hmm. You know, and how, um, how do things work, basically? You know, what is the World Bank? What is the Federal Reserve? It's a very, those are huge questions that a lot of people wonder about all the time. Right. What they will do. Right. Exactly. So I, uh, I sought out classes to take and also world economy mm. right how different economies work how they relate to each other and i find it fascinating and even to this day um i love reading in about you know politics and international relations and also about economics um you know one of the thicker books i just finished was uh um uh, uh, capital in the 21st mm. century it's about Like 900 pages, <laughs> oh, wow. but I I just ate it up. I love it. As long it. as it doesn't have math in it, I'd be curious too. <laughs> you see, the math part, there are mm. a lot of numbers because as um, a formal publication, you do need to back up your uh, theories with evidence. What I'm saying is you don't really need to, mm. you know, go to school for that. I think there are loads of books out there that can, you know, tell us about how the real world um, actually works. So, and I, I find them fascinating. I find them fascinating, too. I like to read, you know, the lay books. There are books on economics that I have in my home now. They're the kinds of books that don't have, mm -hmm. they're not math heavy. So, it's like uh, more like explain right. <laughs> to the typical person sort of books on economics. Mm -hmm. And even uh, one of the um, books on economics I read, uh, I think back in 2019, 
um, was uh, the Economist's Hour. Mm -hmm. It's one of the thicker ones, and it kind of um, shows the history of. Um, it tells you about you know different famous uh, economists mm, mm. across the timetable. You know whose argument um, was thought to be the argument, mm. right? Whose theory was thought to be the theory, and by the end of the book, you realize that no one is ever completely right mm, mm -hmm. all the time. Right. One theory works for this kind of situation at this time period. Another works a little bit better right, at a different time in a different economy. Mm. Um, so after finishing the book, it's like, yeah, you, you, you can't trust the experts. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really have to figure things out um, on your own. Uh, each economy is different. Mm -hmm. Right. China's economy is totally different from America's economy. Mm -hmm. You can't just pluck the theories that work over there and use them. Uh, uh, here indigenously it just it's it's not gonna fit it has to be something that's indigenous that's uh you know that's grown over here that fits the structures with chinese characteristics <laughs> yeah. exactly with chinese characteristics i mean when you think about um the chinese um political system right and also we say mm -hmm. china is a socialist country mm -hmm. with chinese characteristics characteristics now they picked those words very very carefully I'm sure they did, yeah right it, yeah, and the more I read about them, the more I understand why it has to be, it's specific, but it also leaves a lot of areas mm -hmm, open. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, how do you define these characteristics? Mm -hmm. Because everything is fluid. Now I feel like I'm getting a little philosophical, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to finish soon. Um, one thing I think that's um, unique uh, about China, at least as far as I know, is that things are not as set in stone because people understand that everything is always changing. Mm, mm. That sounds and very Taoist. You, you can have... <laughs> Yeah, but that, that is mm. the truth. You know, as you get older, you realize that the only thing, as they say, that never change is that there will always be changes. I think all the countries in the world are, like, trying to work on their economies all the time, especially when, you know, giant changes happen. We undergo, uh, undergo various mm -hmm. periods in history and things evolve and develop. You know, one country affects another, obviously. Right. But I, I just wanted to mention, and this is completely going in another direction, Um Mm -hmm. Some of the cool places people can go if they're college-aged in Beijing. Hmm. So, sure. immediately, Wudaoku comes to mind because it's in the middle of all of the major universities. So, there's this neighborhood ah, called Wudaoku. Right. But in addition to mm -hmm. that, um, you know Hohai. Yes, yes. yes. Have, you, have you been there on a Friday night? Oh, my Beautiful goodness. Area. It is just packed with college students. I and have been. All of these musicians. <laughs> And every night there are musicians. It's, mm -hmm. it's amazing. Bars, we don't have to drink. It is you a very nice place. You can just have coffee. Mm -hmm. They serve ex very expensive mm -hmm. coffee there too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but very nice. And you can, you know, enjoy a boat ride. Um, I've done that. It was very, very relaxing. It's just a little congested though, right? The surrounding areas. It's a little hard to, to get to sometimes. Yeah, it can be. Unless you're on a bicycle. Well, I mean, I usually just take a Didi from there to where, or I guess I, I I shouldn't mm -hmm. say I usually because I don't live there anymore. Hmm. But I used to take a Didi when I wanted to go home. So it's just easy to get out that way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a it's a beautiful neighborhood. And, you know, other cities around the world also have like areas for university students to go and enjoy their life. And it's good mm -hmm. to see the, you know, all these kids who are working so hard go and enjoy themselves and cut loose. 
It's it's not like they can relax after graduation. <laughs> after graduation, they have to work hard, but in a different way, um, and a lot more challenges. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great talking with you today, baby. Same here. We build cultural bridges of friendship here on the bridge. Yes, and I'm looking forward to our next talk. And thank you, our listeners. We'll see you next time. And bye, Jason. Bye, baby. Bye.